You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, and we are proud to be partnered with Interstate Batteries. If you haven't visited your local Interstate Battery retail store to talk with a specialist about all your battery needs, you need to stop in. They have everything from batteries for your trail cameras, batteries for your rangefinders, batteries for your trucks, and everything in between. Uh, they have a battery for it. You can also go to find out more about the company and more about the batteries that they offer to interstatebatteries.com. This is a great company, a trustworthy company that has been around for several, 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 several years. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Parker McDonald, and today we are live at the ATA show, releasing the Tethered Phantom Saddle. I'm sitting down with Greg Godfrey. Ernie Powers, and we're talking all about this new saddle, and uh, you're not going to want to miss it. It's good stuff. This is the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. All right. Guys, watching this or listening to this, welcome to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I'm joined by some of my good friends, Mr. Ernie and Greg. You guys know them. What's up, guys? Saddle hunting gods. Well, <laughs> that might be pushing. I don't know about I don't that. Know. I saw Greg with a shirt off once. And, it's, <laughs> and you were you were scared away. Yeah. Afterward, uh, is that before <laughs> or after he got out of the army? Yeah, because it's a difference. Po- post army, Greg. If you're if you're just listening, you can't see this beautiful sight. But oh, po- post army, Greg is is working on his civilian bod. You know? Oh yeah. There's a dad bod, and then there's civilian bod, and I kind of got like both going at the same time. So a sad bod. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, that's uh, I was I was born with it. I'm pretty sure. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everybody's got their blessing, right? Yeah, exactly. So we're going to talk today about the Phantom. Cool. It's exciting. It's a cool thing, man. What y'all is are, that? Y'all are partial to the Phantom, right? <laughs> we like it. Um, I love it. It's to me like a game changer. So you got to hunt out of it. One say, yeah. We sent you a prototype. Yeah, and. It, Man, like it's it's about the the best saddle I've ever set in. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about the specifics of it today. Um, before we get into that, I know the last time Greg that you were on the podcast was at the Deer Expo. And oh, by the way, we're at ATA right now. Yeah. I don't think I mentioned that we're at ATA right now. We're um, in we're in a random hallway in ATA with lots of people, lots of people, and they're looking at us weird. So yeah, and we're talking loud. And Ernie will talk loud inevitably at some point. <laughs> Just the way it um, is. <laughs> so, Ernie, you are probably the northernmost guest that I've ever had on the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. Well, there we go. You got to have a Yankee on every now and then. Every right? once in a while. I had a guy from Long Island, so I don't know oh, geographically. No. If way that's, more. Yeah. 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 So he's up in Minnesota, so it's way up there. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. So, uh, but that was the last time you were on. Was at the expo. And uh, that we got to change that because that was too long, mm-hmm. way too long ago. We've had a full hunting season, yep, and you haven't been able to come on. But that is because you have been very busy. Yeah, both of you. Sure. Not only making a great saddle, you have been hunting. We kind of went overboard this year. It was like, you know, both of us were working normal dude jobs. I was in the army. Ernie is a professional engineer. Like. Typical. That's you know. not a normal dude job, though. Let's be honest. <laughs> well, he's way smarter than I yeah. am. That's why he had. He's the engineer, and I was a grunt in the army. I was a knuckle dragger. Um, but anyway, the uh, we we got out of like the normal people jobs, and we were like, dude, 
let's go hunting. And so that's what we did. We we just went hunting. We hunted in between the two of us like 10 states maybe. A lot. Yeah, I think I did seven or eight by myself. Yeah. But, um, but dude, Ernie. Thank you for Thank you for that announcement. Yeah. Um, Ernie, you killed a lot of good bucks this year. Yeah, I, I got three nice bucks this year, um, which is crazy, right? I have never claimed to be a good hunter. I just, whatever, this year, things just seem to, to line up, right? And I think part of that was just a lot of time in the field. I got to put way more time in the woods this year than I ever have. Um, I spent the last year and a half hobnobbing with people who know what they're doing, right? So I've spent a lot of time with Dan Infall, John Eberhardt, the hunting public, all these guys who know how to kill deer. And so you can't help but glean some of that information from them. Right. So I feel like I've gotten better, but I also kind of feel like it was just a, a lucky good year. Well, what really did it for you, Ernie, I think, is we started off our season together in Michigan. Yeah. It with the public land challenge. And Ernie got to hunt with me for a week. And so he got all <laughs> of the knowledge from me and that just made him successful. Yeah. You know? I, I, you know. <laughs> well, see, the thing it's is whatever. totally a joke. <laughs> Dan Infall in the hunting public and John Eberhart. Oh yeah. And don't forget Andy May oh, yeah. showed up yeah. there too. Hey, so I think Andy May is probably the best deer hunter in the United States of America. Andy May is a straight up killer. Yeah. It's he's and the thing with Andy this year is, you know, we're on a lot of chat room stuff with our internal communications and he'd be like yeah i'm going to kentucky and here's what i think's going to happen i'm going to go over here i'm going to hunt this island and if he's not there he's going to be over here goes there hunts one day he wasn't there next day he sends us pictures of the buck he's like yeah well if he's not here he's going to be here i'm gonna kill him in two days it's just a matter of which one is going to be the right <laughs> spot and he's doing it and it's, it's amazing and the way he he knew about that buck he got a he got a trail cam picture of this buck and he's and he's real familiar with this area. He's been hunting it. He's you know he's a he's a killer. And he's like, okay, there's a buck in that area, mature buck. He said, I know he's either gonna bed at, at bed A or he's gonna bed at point or at bed B. And so depending on the wind, I'm gonna set up at the right place and I'm gonna kill him. He went in there and freaking killed that deer. Yeah, and it was al- amazing. He also said the trail picture that he got wasn't even in that area. He just said, I know that whatever it was after november 10th or whatever the bucks tend to move to this area and when they do they'll be in like you said bed a or bed b and so he knew this buck wasn't in the right area now but will be in three weeks went in there got it done it's the guy's amazing so i was talking to him last night and uh really fanboying over andy may like there's everybody everybody who's anybody was there last night sure hanging out where we were at and uh um, I was like, I saw Andy May walk in and I'd never met him. I talked to him a couple times, you know, on Facebook, Instagram and stuff. And I was like, like that, that is the guy that I want to be. If I want to be anybody in this room now, granted I'd have to grow probably yeah. seven inches, eight inches. And he's a giant. Yeah. He's a big dude. And like, and like just stacked. Like, yeah. Probably have to spend some time in the gym. Yeah. I would probably, I don't know what you're trying to say, but, uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, but like the dude, I was telling somebody like, who's that guy? I was like, oh, you don't know who that guy is. Well, he's somebody you need to know because the dude is legit. Yeah. He's and, awesome. Uh, he's so humble about it. Like, yeah, he's, he doesn't self promote, you know, he films his stuff and then he just puts it away. He films so it for his own he doesn't share it doesn't do anything yeah. he actually edits it does it's the good. whole process <laughs> he sent me some stuff like that he has loaded to youtube but it's all set to private yeah and he shared it with me i'm like andy what, what are, are you doing people want to see this stuff and yeah. he's like he, he i don't know it's weird he told me what what has done it for him is because he started kind of just by himself as a what did he say he was like 20 when he started hunting like not not uh not a young guy by any means um, an adult onset hunter and he's like I just started I really didn't know what to do and so if I saw a deer 100 yards over here well I'd move my stand 100 yards over there and he said and I really started learning how to get away with certain things like what what could I get away with with these deer mm. and he's like and so that just really taught me how to do all this I thought that was insane I was like that is first off it's crazy that a guy he's not an old guy no. by any means and a guy who started as late in life as he did, and to be where he's at now, dude, that guy is that well, guy is the real deal. And it's not just whitetails. He went out and killed a monster mule deer this year. I mean, he's just – the guy is a killer. He knows what he's doing. For sure. Yeah, for sure. When, you, when you surround yourself with people that are really good at what they do, you tend to just – suck up some of that stuff by osmosis it just it kind of transfers to you and i feel like i've become a better hunter 
uh, this year because I've spent so much time in camp with guys like Andy and Infault and Eberhart and THP and it, and the guys from Tethered. I mean, it's it's been a fun year. Yeah, yeah. You can't overlook the guys that are the Tethered guys. Like, oh, there's some Jared. That dude. Yeah, he knows his stuff. Like he is a killer. He's a killer. Um. Adrian gets lucky a lot. Yeah. Adrian's <laughs> a bad hunter. Honestly. He's, just, like, he's just lucky just that he knows Ernie. That's the it. only reason why he's any good. Um, but so uh, just catching up a little bit since the last time you were on, one of your goals was to shoot an elk on film from a saddle. Yep. Good call. Did that happen? I tried. I sat and actually, it's kind of funny you bring that up. The first time I ever hunted from the Phantom was that elk hunt in Montana. And I got in the stand at daylight, and I got out of the stand, um, out of the saddle, um, at uh, at dark. I, they had a tree stand set up, like a ladder stand. So I climbed to the top of the ladder stand on this water hole, and I hung in the phantom from daylight to dark, first sit phantom, God's honest truth, that's how it happened. I mean, I had tested it and stuff on the ground and you know played around with it, but yeah. first hunt, Montana, all day, dark to dark, did not see an elk did not come one didn't even come in uh that hunt was tough the weather was kind of crappy rainy whatever rained every day i tried i really tried but uh i only saw one legal (coughs) animal and that was on the last day of the hunt the last few hours we were walking down um just a a a two-track road not even like a not even like an elk trail just a two-track road and we're me and the guide we're just kind of talking quietly having having a good time laughing or whatever and he grabs me and pulls me down he's like elk 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 and i'm like oh crap you know and my bow's not ready and man he's like it's right there shoot him shoot him shoot him and i'm like grabbing my bow i'm pulling an arrow out and my stupid freaking uh i don't know if i can say the brand can i say the brand of broadhead yeah i don't care okay it was a rage broadhead uh i don't yeah, it was a rage broadhead. I shouldn't have probably been shooting mechanicals out there anyway, but I pulled the on rage. An elk? Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't claim we don't claim to be great. You said hunters. this was before you started hunting with the great hunters. Yeah. This is and your I, first hunt of the season. I've I've sent it might not I let me let me back up. Sorry to rage. It might not have been a rage. It might not have been because I shot two different mechanical broadheads this right. year. Uh it was a mechanical broadhead and I pulled it out of the quiver. This is honest truth. This elk is right there. I pull it out of the quiver, and the little retaining thing, like the rubber the band or whatever, had had come messed up, and so the it's flopping. And I literally took the arrow and threw it, you know, like pushed it away. I grabbed the second one out, and it was flopping. So I instead of just grabbing a third one, I screwed it in. You know, I screwed it back in, knocked the arrow, get up, and like right when I stand up and lean out from behind this rock the elk takes off now that whole process was like real time 35 40 seconds i mean wasn't a long time we just we didn't have a lot of time but maybe if that first broadhead had come out and been ready to shoot i might have got a shot Um, maybe not it's not 100 percent, but that was a tough hunt so that was was a goal of mine and i i did not accomplish that goal but i tried garrett didn't kill one either right yeah and i wanted to beat garrett so i still got a chance so so you're good on that yeah i'm still 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 got next year that hunt was tough yeah yeah ernie had a giant bull in range on that that yeah i mean it's it's kind of a long story but i ended up shooting right over the back of a of a nice six by seven um huge huge bull um, we, you know, if you want to hear the whole story, you can go back and find one of the podcasts we did in elk camp, but it's, um, boils down to the guy that I had, uh, guiding me that day. I knew that the situation was going to be such that it was going to be really fast. We kind of peeked over the hill and I knew the elk was there. And so I gave him my rangefinder, and I said, I'm at full draw. And I stepped forward. Right. And when I did, the guy popped up next to me and he ranged it wrong. And so he uh, told me to shoot 65, and I did. Um, come to find out later, the bull was at 40. I went right over his back. Yeah. Oh, God, 40 yards on and, a and, bull. And the words, a huge bull. The words from the guide, this is not from Ernie, this was from the guide, said it was the biggest bull he'd ever seen in the state of Montana. Yeah. <laughs> and he shouldn't have told you that and ranged it wrong at the same time. Uh, like yeah, that's it, it was bad. That's, uh, yeah. that's pretty rough, bad. man. Um, so, you know, we – we went to Montana. We, I mean, I put on 60 miles in five days. I don't know what you did, Greg, but we worked 
we worked hard for a week and came home with nothing. Yeah. So another one of your goals, Greg, which you did do, you had you had said that, like, hey, like I saddle hunt, killed a lot of deer out of a saddle, killed a lot of animals, whatever, and but you had never killed like just like a a good solid mature buck that you got to take home from a saddle. Yeah. So that happened. Yeah, that happened. I I killed some mature bucks, but nothing that really scored well. Right. Because of where I've always hunted, you know, I wasn't able to travel a lot. You know, the army put me in places where it just wasn't great, you know, big genetic good numbers. But regardless, you were still killing deer. Oh, yeah. So that that, that says a lot. Well, that yeah, that was the hard part for killing deer. That's always been achievable. But as far as like a Pope and young animal, I've only killed a few of those in my life because you know, where you live, you know, Mm -hmm. determines a lot of that. I grew up in the Southeast. Your chances of shooting a Pope and young animal where you hunt in North Alabama, they're there. Yeah. But it's pretty, it's not easy to do. Right. You know, it's not like the Midwest hunts where you can go and have a realistic chance in a, in a week. But yeah, man, I got to go to, I got to go to Missouri this year, hunted public land in Missouri and shot a show enough Pope and younger. And it was awesome. Out of the the phantom with the bow. It was an awesome hunt. That's yeah. so cool. We we used uh, we used Rambo bikes, e bikes to get back to this place. We we're like three miles from the nearest road, dragging that deer out or quartering it up and walking it out would have sucked. But on the bikes, it was awesome. Yeah. In a in a kayak, it would have been awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> but man, that was a fun hunt. It was uh, yeah, definitely met one of my goals for for this yeah, year. That's fantastic. Any other exciting things that happened this hunting season? Why, well, for me again never claimed to be a really good hunter um and so you know as far as like archery the biggest thing i'd ever killed was a little basket eight mm-hmm. um and so this year just the the doors flew off and that buck i killed in georgia i, I still can even barely believe it happened slammer um, that's a great buck slammer yeah. buck he uh he was a monster and and it was funny because <laughs> we took it to the the uh butcher i donated it to the you know the food shelf and uh got there and the butcher is like taking pictures and sending it to his buddy and he's like posing with the deer and all this stuff but uh when they got there uh he was already field dressed and they cut him off at the ankles to get him on the meat hooks and and hang him up and they threw a scale on him and he was 210 pounds field dressed with no legs and so that put him pretty heavy you know live weight lord he's a giant yeah i mean that that deer scored high 50s i mean he was like just a touch under 160 yeah it was a pretty i wouldn't have said that just because i was comparing it to the body size yeah but that body size is it was deceiving because you look at the rack and the pictures and he looks like a great buck but you don't realize this this thing was a horse walking through the woods and that was that was an urban southern hunt that's in georgia they just don't get that big generally yeah so i I saw seek one guys just put out a video fairly recently of like a 300 plus pound buck a giant, it yeah. may have been bigger than that it was i mean it was huge yeah it was a big deer and uh and you don't you don't typically get to see those type deer that's what this here. was like and and tell the tell the story about like the sheds and everything out yeah that was that's cool part so of it we had some friends that were in the area and they were kind of pointing us in directions and places to hunt and uh so the night before uh Greg had been hunting in the the area where this buck was living, and and he walked up on. I was about a set of about seventy five yards from where yeah. you were hunting the next day. Yeah, and he found a matching set of sheds on the ground and picked them up, and so he was rattling with them. He brought them back to the camp that night, and we're looking at him like, God, this is a big deer, you know. I mean, I wonder what he looks like this year. This is like a one forty eight point. Yeah, and we're like, Wow, that's cool, you know. I wonder what he looks like this year and whatever else, and. uh the next morning, an hour into the hunt, I managed to get a shot at this deer. And when we went to recover it and we looked, and we're like, this is the same deer. I mean, the sheds are almost identical to the living rack, but just way bigger. Yeah. The living, it, it had put on about 20 inches yeah. in a year. He, he'd added a ninth point, yep. and then he had uh, he put on like 20 inches in So one you year. go from killing a basket rack, eight, being probably one of your best bucks. Well, and- it's funny because, yeah. Um, I, I did a suburban hunt in Minnesota, kind of a, it was a uh, yeah. population control type yeah, deal. I remember, I remember you talking about it. And it was a zoo. It was a zoo. And looking back on it, I mean, I shot a nice 10 in there, right? And the reason I shot it is it came, it came by and I'm like, that's by far the biggest deer I've ever killed with a bow and arrow. And it's standing there. I got to take this shot. Well, little did I know 
you know, I, I was required to hunt a certain number of days in there. So after that, my buck tag was gone. And the very next day, a monster came by at 15 yards. And I it was like video and taking pictures. pictures of like, it. yeah. 160 plus. Yeah. Like monster. Saw, you saw, saw the pictures. pictures. Yeah. yeah. Like, this so, is a big deer. So I, yeah, I went from. His neck from, was like, he looked like Hulk <laughs> walking through the woods. Yeah. So I went from, you know, shooting little basket eight to then I shoot my first Pope and Young 10. And then a month later, I shoot that one in Georgia. And it's just like, it blew up. I don't. And then, and then you, you shot go to Missouri. One in Missouri. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you yeah. shot one in Missouri, which out of all those states you just mentioned, Missouri should have been the one where you shot a 160. And, I mean, that was the smallest one that you it killed. It was the smallest one. And, yeah. and at that point, I was sick. Um, he was sick. And I had the flu, yeah. and I was not doing good. And it was really cold, 20 degrees. You yeah. know, and it, it, was, it was one of those deals where I, that buck came by, and I knew it wasn't a monster, but I also knew that this was going to give me three bucks. And I could go home. I, I, <laughs> and so I did. I shot the buck the next day. I loaded up the truck, and I went home and tried to recover because I, I was in rough shape. I was not feeling yeah. good, and that gave me an exit to go home. That's, that's awesome, man. So y'all had a great season. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's get into this, okay? I want to talk about – and I'm just going to – I'm going to kind of ask you questions as, as they come for me. Sure. But uh, I want you guys to just kind of talk. And y'all, y'all had a lot of, um, obviously – you are tethered so all of the the little things that maybe people even skip over in videos or um people don't notice right off the bat i want to talk about some of those things but um can you tell me the the main reason for changing because the mantis isn't old and there's really not a lot of things to be improved on it um can you tell me the main reasons why you did this with the phantom well it was an I, accident. Carl just said, "Hey, check this idea out." <laughs> it was it was an accident, but also, do you remember the YouTube channel that called it a varsity saddle? Yep. I, I, so I like to use this story because it illustrates it really well. So there was a there was a I don't remember the the name of the channel. I wish I did. Um, yeah. But it's a dude that lives up in New York, I believe. Um, anyway, I don't want to get it wrong. But there was a there was a guy that did a YouTube a YouTube video, and he called it a varsity saddle. He called the Mantis a varsity saddle. And we started thinking about that, and we were like, you know, that really kind of makes sense because that's who we were when we built the Manus. We were really experienced. We had all been making these things in our garages. We've been prototyping DIY and this stuff for a long time. And we built what we wanted, and we knew what we wanted in a saddle, and that ended up being the Mantis. And it was a varsity saddle. You kind of, if you knew the ins and outs of saddle hunting and you were familiar with tethers and bridges and how to get adjusted, you probably got it right away, but for mm-hmm. the guy that maybe had a little less experience, it maybe was a little out of the reach. So there was some, a few, it wasn't a big thing, but there was there was complaints about it riding up, which is pretty common in mm-hmm. the saddle hunting world. That's like a normal thing. There was just some things that people didn't like and we didn't like and we wanted to make better and that's how this happened. Yeah, I mean, the idea is the Manus is an awesome saddle. Sure. But it takes a little bit of work to figure out how to make it work for you. The idea behind the Phantom is that anybody can pick it up and it works right away. Um, and so it takes some of that learning curve and brings it down so that the new guy, and that's you know who we're trying to, there's only so many saddle hunters out there and we're trying to convert more. And if we can make that entry easier for a guy who's never been in a saddle, that was our goal with this, is to yeah. to make it so that anybody can pick it up, throw it on, and within a few minutes, they're comfortable. So we added a lot of features to it that let you fine-tune and adjust and make it comfortable for anybody. And make mistakes and yeah. still be comfortable. Yep. Like, so I'll, I'll give you an example. I was hunting out of mine last week sometime. I can't remember. Um, but I was I was in a tree, and where I ended up at in the dark was there was a, a big branch coming out kind of right here where my um, my tether would really be at, typically, you know, kind of that eye-level spot. Well, I couldn't do it. Uh, I couldn't put my tether right there because that big, I mean, it was a big, thick branch, yeah. you know, and kind of almost more of a crotch in the tree. And so I had to put my tether up a little bit higher on the tree. And it was actually a great test for me in in hunting out of the Phantom because I was like, it's like, all right, well, I'll, I'll raise it up and see what these, what these new features are actually going to do for me. And I did it. I made some adjustments that I wouldn't have had the ability to make in the Mantis or any other saddle, yeah. really. And 
uh, made those adjustments, and it was perfect. Like it was, there was no, it, it was an improvement on even being at normal tether height in the Mantis. But then changing everything and making my tether height higher. I started when I first started saddle hunting. I was like hanging my tether way up here because yeah. I well, thought that's what Trophy Line always told you. Yeah, put it as high as you can reach. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so th- let's talk about these adjustments because, like, these kind of changes and and little things. So, I want to talk first about probably the the most. <clears throat> there's two things on the saddle that you notice right off the bat, right? It's uh, the comfort channels and the adjustable bridge. That's yep. to me like when you look at it, you're like, this is the first thing I saw. So let's talk about that. Whoever wants to talk about it, just well, go for it. You talk about the bridge, and I'll talk about the comfort sure. channels. How about that? They're really, really simple. Hopefully you can kind of see that. It's basically just a, a system of ridges or channels that we built in because a lot of the feedback that we got from the Manus was, you know, we wish there was a way – to pull or to bring su- build support into a, a, the bottom strap of the of the saddle chassis, mm-hmm. if you want to call it that. Or, hey, we wish we could get more support in our lower back, which would end up being like the top strap of the saddle chassis. Well, we figured out a way to do that with these comfort channels. So now you've got your, your medium setting, which is kind of right dead center of the bridge loop. Or you've got a low setting to get more support underneath your butt. Or you can move it into the high setting which gives you more upper back support. And where that also comes into play is if you have a crooked tree. So if you're not sitting in a perfectly straight tree, if it's leaning one way or the other, now you can adjust the pull or the support on your saddle and make up for that leaning tree. So it really does a couple of different things. And the other beautiful part is if you're, hopefully you're uh, watching this podcast, uh, the video version, and you'll see this. If you're just listening to the audio version, make sure you check out what is it going to be on the Southern Ground channel. Yeah, it'll be on the Sports on Nation. the Sports Nation channel. YouTube make sure channel. you look at it yep. and you'll see what we're doing here. But you can you can just move that bridge. I mean, look how easy it is. It's like a piece of cake to move this thing. Mm-hmm. You just basically unweight your saddle, switch the channel, and boom, it's there. It's done. like it's idiot proof. Plus, you got the tactile feedback of these Delrin balls, so it's. It's uh, you can feel it in the dark. You can you can count them with your fingers. It's really easy, so you don't even need to see it. You just can reach down. One, two. Yep, got it. I'm in the right channel. So so there there really is only, and I may be speaking out of place. There's three technical. Yep. Technically, but what I was noticing when I was playing with it is there's actually. Uh, five. You can, if you can. If you can, yeah. It won't hold great right. in every scenario, especially mm-hmm. if you have a short tether. Um, if you have a short tether, then it won't hold really good if you go below or above. Now, from a safety perspective, it's fine. You're, you could put it wherever you want, and you're not going to you're not gonna get hurt. It's right. going to stay there. Now, if it, if it slips, that's the thing. Is, Make your butthole wink. Yeah, yeah, bit. exactly. <laughs> if, you, if you have it on the bottom, and you go and you rotate or something, and it pops off of that bottommost channel and it jumps into the next one you're not going to get hurt you're going to be fine it's going to stay right where it is we actually tested that to make sure that it would be okay but it's going to pucker you up for a second so we don't really recommend going outside of those channels that's Uh, why we're doing this because i mean when i looked at it at first it was like oh yeah there's five but three is really the yeah that's kind of where recommendation that's what we recommend okay perfect perfect all right so you can continue on that on those if there's any other things on the comfort channels. I mean, that's pretty much it. I don't think well, I missed really, anything. Is One really cool thing, and you can show this in the video, is with the way these comfort channels work and the way that you know we kept our Amsteel at that point really small, when you put weight into it and those comfort channels come together, it actually locks that bridge in tight. The, yes. the two uh, ridges, if you will, lock right around that bridge. And it's, it's in there. I mean, it'll slide. It's not putting uh damaging or doing anything to that bridge sure. but it's locked in place mm-hmm. yep so it won't move there was we did see a, f- a few comments that, uh you know on social media and in in wherever that oh, it looks like it might pop out it won't it's it's absolutely in there like ernie said it's just it's locked in there yeah it's perfect i mean and in my uh, experience with it and just messing around with it it like those comfort channels so i want to i want to talk about kind of kind of that like on the higher setting, what you were saying was if you want more back support. Yep. Um, the thing I noticed, which was to me probably the most impressive part about the Phantom. So let's see. Let's make sure I got it the right right way. Yeah. So here's your top, right? You got that. And when you're when you're on that top setting right there, it's going to 
pull that a little bit more on the top side. What it did for me, and I sit all day a lot, like in a saddle especially. A saddle for me is more comfortable than a tree stand. Like people say you have to sacrifice the comfort for the mobility, I guess. For me, it's not. I don't think so. I sit all day more now than I did in a tree stand because I have a saddle. And and sometimes I just like it. Like I'm like, this is just comfortable. I don't really want to get up and walk around, you know? Yeah. And so – um, but I always had to use a backband. Always had to use the recliner, and what it did for me, and it may not be for everybody. I don't know if this was an on-purpose thing, but it eliminated the need for the backband for me, um, because what that did, pulling from the top, the lower back, it kind of corrected my posture, mm. you know, and I, I was able to straighten my back and actually sit correctly. To where I'm not, there's nothing, there's not really anything pulling me backwards to need the backband. Um, And so for me, these comfort channels, like the name is perfect because it literally increased the comfort for me like a ton. And, And I can't wait, man. Like I can't wait to sit in even more, you know, on early season hunts in the hot weather, you know, in hot, cold, whatever, because I think it. It's it, for lack of better. I hate even using the word, but it's it's a game changer, um, a game ender. Yeah. I guess is what is what uh, the video says. But <laughs> blame our marketing department. <laughs> yeah, freaking Jared. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love it. I love it. So the comfort channels. Make sure you check this out. Greg did a pretty great video recently um, on G two of from the ATA show. Yep. Kind of going over all these things. Check that video out. Um, tethered. There's one on the tethered page that yep. kind of is a we released one but today is the 10th friday the 10th so we released one this morning and uh it kind of goes over the same stuff specific specifically to and we're releasing channels. we're kind of releasing videos kind of all the way up until the launch which would be a mid to late february uh resale uh time and we're going to kind of release some stuff all the way up to make sure everybody is informed and you know, we're not interested in keeping secrets. You know, we want to show everybody exactly what it is, why it's different, why it might be better, why it might make make it more comfortable for you. You know, it's the, like Ernie said earlier. The Manus was a great saddle. Uh, I I didn't I never had any issues with comfort. Uh, once I got it figured out and I figured out where I liked it and how it worked with me, it was mega comfortable. I sit all day long. But with the Phantom, like Ernie said, it's kind of like. That learning curve has just been reduced. Mm-hmm. That's really what it does for – what's what it did for me. 100%. Yep. Yeah. So, all right, let's talk about the adjustable bridge. All right. So, big, big change going forward. Anytime you've seen any of our Manus saddles, etc., it was a fixed-length bridge. And that length was largely determined by the uh, amount of berry that Samson requires on a Brummel splice so we had to have a certain number of inches of berry and when you doubled that up that was basically what we ended up with our bridge um but it wasn't adjustable right and so for me i like to be able to cinch my bridge way down tight when i get out of a tree because a lot of times i'm repelling and i like to put my repelling gear right by my hips so the the adjustable and steel bridge is one of those things that it just hadn't been figured out and you know anybody who follows Amsteel at all and whatever there's always been this kind of a, a thing that you can't tie knots in it, and it won't work with any kind of a friction hitch, um, and it, it doesn't, right? So Amsteel, in its natural, pure form, doesn't like those things. Mm-hmm. Um, what we ended up doing in the way we constructed this is we gave the Amsteel a little more body, and it gives it room to compress a little bit. Yeah, hold that up just a little bit so people can kind of see that. So... Um, this is quarter inch am steel, but by the time we're done with it, it's probably closer to like five eighths or even uh, you know, not five eighths, like five sixteenths or even uh, three eighths. It's it's bigger, right? So, um, but it has body in it, and that comes from the way that we splice it, and we carry the the buried end all the way through and out the other side. And that just hadn't been done by anybody before, and so mm-hmm. that's one of the patent protections that we have on the saddle is is the construction of this bridge. But what that does is then we can take our continuous loop of a smaller diameter, and again, it, the berry is carried all the way to the end, and uh, the combination of more body in the main bridge and more body in the Prusik allows it to cinch down and grab. Uh, 
we didn't know if this was going to work, right? So we, we do a lot of playing around, a lot of testing, but we took this saddle down to a, an independent third-party lab. And with the 300-pound ATA, or not ATA, uh, TMA dummy, we set it up, and what we did is we took some electrical tape, and we put it around the bridge, and we had it at, you know, whatever length, right? And dropped it. And it took the full force of that dummy, and the bridge... It was about a six-foot fall, wasn't it? Yeah. And the bridge moved a half an inch. So it grabbed right now. And then it's just a matter of kind of work it a little bit, it's loose, able to do it again. And so we were just amazed. We're like, that's not supposed to work. Amsteel doesn't like Prusix. It does. It's not supposed to work, but it does. And so we were able to come up with a way to get Amsteel to do what it's not supposed to and work as a bridge. Everybody knows, you know, pound for pound, you can't beat Amsteel. It's lightweight. It's strong. It's got a natural lubricity to it, so it glides through your carabiner easy. Mm-hmm. So this just basically made the perfect bridge that we've ever seen on a saddle because mm-hmm. it gives you the adjustability, it gives you the benefits of Amsteel, and it's all in one nice package. So let me ask you this: Does it Boom. does it mess with the integrity of the of the Amsteel to have it in knots or anything like that? Is there a is there an amount that it goes down in strength from doing that? It does, right? But if anybody follows Amsteel, this stuff's rated for seven, 8,000 pounds. Exactly. So yeah. a percentage off of that is still really good. And so we did our testings on it. And in bridge form, the only real knot we've got is a Prusik. And there's no, you know, the thing with a knot and why it reduces the strength of the rope is tight corners. So in a normal knot, like what we've got in our stopper knot here, the tight bend on the outside is where it gets weak. That's where the, the stress is. But in our Prusik, there isn't any of that. The, the yeah. tight bends really aren't there. It's, it really handles it nice. And this is a splice. So we've incorporated a splice in here. got lots of strength. It's double thickness. It's got a lot of strength. And when we tried to break it as a bridge, it was thousands and thousands of pounds before it broke. Yeah. Um, it's just crazy strong. For what looks like, it's like, man, I don't know if I can hang off of that. <laughs> yeah. But you can't. You can hang a truck off of this. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah, you, yeah. You'd never break it. And and to your point about the reduction in in strength. So like Ernie said, these are all splice. These aren't knots. These are right. these are lock Bromel splices. Right. Which retain, according to Samson, their independent testing retains up to about ninety percent strength. Uh, in a climbing rope, if you tie a figure eight in it. You know, which is your traditional climbing safe knot, uh, you're going to reduce you're going to reduce your strength anywhere from generally 30 to 50 percent, depending on the rope and depending on the knot. So you're retaining way more strength out of a material that's already way stronger than sure. the other thing. So it's like the best of both worlds. Yeah, and that's, I mean, dude, it, and it took me a minute. You know, when I when I first started using the Mantis. Uh, it took me a minute to, to trust the gear, you know, like, like every saddle hunter has probably been in that in their life. You know, when you first start, you're like, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to, I don't know if I'm going to be comfortable in this. And you just test it. You, you get comfortable. You learn the quote unquote limits, which you're never going to probably reach the limit, but you, you just learn to trust it. And man, it's, it's awesome. Like, I was I, that there the one concern that I had, which I knew what you guys do is you actually you test your stuff like legitimately testing it. You were talking about the TMA dummy, yeah, like TMA dummy, like that's that's what they're doing testing with. Like that's it's legit. So there's, well, we actually bought one. Yeah, exactly. So we can do we can do testing at our shop um, for anybody who ever wants to buy a TMA dummy. They're ten thousand dollars. So we're willing to make that investment so that we can do the testing, so that we can get all this stuff right. Just because, I mean, we want to know how everything reacts and how it works. And so everything is, you know, safety first. We're trying to make sure everything works the way it's supposed to. Exactly. And and it's and it's doing a great job. So um, anything else on the adjustable bridge? It's awesome. It's great. <laughs> it's the best thing ever. Yeah. Actually, it's and, you know, it's pretty cool. One, one thing that's really nice, too, is when you're walking in, yep. you can cinch that bridge all the way down, and it brings your bridge loops in, and it just tightens up your package so that you can get through the woods without snagging on stuff, and it makes it a nice, clean walk in. It's, it, 
it's an added benefit that wasn't necessarily the yeah. reason we did it. It was like it an accidental off. upgrade. Yeah. I like to call it transport mode. Yeah. You put the bridge in transport mode, and then you walk in. It's pretty cool. So, so that's a great segue because one of the complaints that I have heard about the Mantis, and one of the things that I dealt with, y'all knew that I put, I did the battle belt, the Clayton yep. Bond battle belt yep. um, thing to try to keep the Mantis to, uh, you know, on my waist while I was hiking in, and I eventually I ditched it. I ditched the whole idea like the, after the first time I used it because I, I hated it. Because part of the reason I liked the Mantis in the first place was because it was light. It wasn't like making me sweat. You know, I was I didn't even feel like it was there. You put that battle belt on, which is just a like a what would it be called? Like an army? Yeah, it's like a tactical belt. Tactical belt is yeah. pretty much all it is. So. Um, and I would put that all around these Molly loops and it basically tightened in and it was, it was cool idea. It looked cool. (laughs) It looked awesome. I felt like a GI Joe, (laughs) but, but it really wasn't practical for me. Um, but regardless, a lot of people have said that that was one of the issues that they had with the Mantis was that it would fall down, right? Like it was because the whole emphasis on the Mantis was that it was lightweight. It's what, 15 ounces? It was a little more than that, but yeah, it was super crazy. It's light. super light. Like that's that's great. And then and then talking about the the belt, you know, kind of loosening up a little bit. Well, with this with this adjustable bridge, you have like a a belt. You got a backup too. Yeah, you, so got you still like, have the waist belt. You yeah. s- it still has the waist belt, which is a little bit sturdier Upgraded. on this. It's yeah. a, that's upgrade. We can talk about th- that in just a second. Um, but this, like, I was just like tightening. I was like, oh, this is awesome. It man. works I great. Just, just go, you know. Yeah. And so, um, man, those two things to me are like the like meat and potatoes of the Phantom. That's the first things that you notice. It's, it's the, to, in my opinion, it's the thing that really like says, hey, there's nothing else that's like this right now. And those are awesome. I love them. But also, it's a little more rigid. Yep. Right. We heard that. We heard that a lot this past season. Hey, could they do something that has like a little more meat to it? So let's talk about that. Talk about like weight specs and um, kind of the the difference in the design of the what, what is it called? Like the the saddle chassis or the something saddle like, chassis, something yeah. like that. Well, Ernie and Carl, Carl who designed the Phantom, Carl Kasuth, who's the Michael Jordan of sewing, who is our tethered lead designer, chief designer. Um, they're like mad scientists, both in Carl and Ernie, when it comes to different materials. And er, like a, Ernie's a freaking engineer, a degree in physics and engineering. Normal guy. So job. he's like super me- mega crazy smart. And they figured out the best materials, the best way to work with it. And so another thing that can get missed is, so if you, you notice the shape, it's like a football, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's curved on the top, curved on the bottom. The mantis, the waist belt, was straight. Mm-hmm. So from from the top lineman loop to the bottom lineman loop, or left or right, I should say, left or right was a straight line. There's no straight lines in this, which really adds to the cup, and it really cups your it cups your body a lot. So that matters as well. But yeah, the other things uh, that you mentioned are, are true. The the the, um, the waist belt was upgraded, different different uh, fabric. Ernie can talk more of that stuff, and I'll let him talk. But as far as weight goes. I don't know if we have. I don't know. It's like it's right at eighteen ounces. I think. Yeah, I think I think we gained an ounce or so by yeah. doing some of these changes. We gained a little bit of weight, but it was worth the the weight penalty to get these features. Yeah, yeah I mean, and and like you're talking about eighteen ounces from a little over fifteen ounces. Like, oh my god, you know, like sure. If I pack toilet paper that day, like that, that gets me. Yeah, uh, three more ounces. Well, you know? I'm a gram weenie. Like I, I love making things lighter better faster stronger so right. i'm always kind of pushing the envelope in that regard sure um so it matters to me it matters to some people i like to say that if you count if you chase ounces you save pounds so it doesn't matter that much in a whitetail typical whitetail scenario right. where you're walking a few hundred yards and climbing a tree maybe not that big of a deal matters more when you're out west and stuff like yeah. that but um you, you know you chase ounces you'll save pounds exactly so but Ernie to me, can talk to me more what about it does materials. is it, this this phantom it, it hits the best world best of both worlds because 18 ounces is not heavy like it is not. that is a minimalist weight that's it's ridiculously light it's very light and and now what you've got is you've got and I don't know the specs I could be speaking out a term on on other you know other saddles that are out there but you've got one of the light I can say this you've got one of the lightest saddles right and most comfortable 
in the same in the same package, which wasn't wasn't an opinion of a lot of people. You sure. know what I mean? And this knocked that out to me. Yep. So let's talk about it, Ernie. Well, and so we talked about materials, right? So one of the most of the changes that came into the Phantom are directly tied to customer feedback. Hey, we wish it could do this. We wish it could do that. I mean, that's how the Manus came along, really. It, for anybody who has a little bit of saddle hunting history, there was a thread out there on the Saddle Hunter forum said, you know, if you could change one thing about the Kestrel, what would it be? And it was funny because we had already been working on the Manus and making all of the changes that these guys are suggesting on this forum, and that's how the I Have a Secret thread started, which is a, a whole other story in itself. But we listened. We were like, okay, what do people want? And one of the things that people had talked about is they wanted the molly webbing and the lineman loops to have a little bit more body to them. And so what we did is we went with a little bit heavier grade webbing, excuse me, to get that feel, which had an added bonus because when we folded that webbing over and put it inside of our tubular, it created a really stiff, awesome lineman loop. Uh... And the way we built this, by moving that lineman's loop away from the top of the saddle and incorporating it into the entire body, when you pull on the lineman's loop on the tree, you're getting support top and bottom in the saddle instead of everything on your hips. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you have the saddle on and you reach down, you can't miss these loops. They're huge. You can put a gloved hand through them. Yeah. And so to just look down and snap a carabiner in it, reach down and grab it, they're right there. They're very, like, robust and easy to find. And that basically all came from upgrading the lineman's loop webbing. Yeah. Adding the molly top and bottom, people like to put stuff on their saddles. I mean, I don't know what you're going to put on these, but it's available to put it there. Right. So... Um, we liked the ability to have that top and bottom. So, so is that really, is the molly webbing, is that really what gives it more of the rigidity, I yep. guess? Is that the right word, rigidity? Yep. Yeah. Is that really all it is? Well, it's it's two things, right? So if you look on the inside of the chassis, the orange webbing on the bottom that is used for the leg attachments. Yeah, let's put those up so people can see that. And it's, it's kind of ghosted. It's kind of continuation all around. Yep, it's kind of ghosted through the mesh, but... You've got the orange webbing, which is a really stiff webbing. We tried to get some body that had a little more, or some webbing that had a little more stiffness to it. We've got that sandwiched between the saddle chassis webbing and then the lineman's webbing. And when you sew all three of those together, it just creates a nice, like, rigid body. And we have yeah. the same type of construction on the top because we have the waist belt sandwiching the chassis and then the lineman's loops and the molly. And having those three pieces of material, uh, physically bonded by sewing together yeah. gives it that body, the, the rigid, like, nice feel to it. I love it. I love that. Um, okay, so let's talk about the actual mesh. Was there any changes done to the mesh? Obviously, you said it. there's a little more coverage that adds with the cupping, um, but was it, is it the same exact stuff? Well, that, it's brown. It's brown? Okay. It's different <laughs> color. That, different different color. color. No, it's the same material. So because it's brown, did y'all just have to run it through, like, a ozone machine? whole bunch of times, get that green color out of it, and that's <laughs> yeah. why it turned brown. That's how it happened. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. okay. All right. So let's see what else. You talked about this briefly, but the uh, the leg loops. All right. So one of the first things I noticed coming out and, and actually hunting in it was I don't have two options now, right? So So you had the one that kind of went more, I don't know, lower, and then you had the one that was on the actual belt. What yep. was the reasoning for that, and why is this better? Well, for those of us watching the video, we're watching uh, Greg's civilian body grow, and <laughs> I we all have it, right? And so the issue is when you got your clothes on about. and you've got you've got the the belt on. Sometimes it's hard to find those attachment points. It's you can't you know where am I going to put this leg loop? Buckle? If you got a spare tire, yeah. right around your waist, you're like get out of the if way. You got yeah. If you got exactly. civilian bod or dad yeah. bod, you know, yeah, exactly. Um, and so we found that by moving that leg attachment down lower and putting it on the outside of your thighs, it's easy to see. It's right there. Reach over, clip, go. And it, you know, we made it orange because we like the color and it's easy to see. But yeah. um, it's super easy to kind of look down and be like, yep, there's my hook. And it goes. So you're not fumbling in the dark trying to find this thing and get it, whatever. It just is to make it easier. Again, we're trying to 
like smooth out that learning curve so that it's easy for the guy to get it right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a crossbow. So this is like the crossbow of the saddle <laughs> world. I don't know about that, but uh, another reason we moved the, the uh, waist belt loops like you talked about. Mm-hmm. So now you can adjust all the way down, all the way into the main body of the saddle or the saddle chassis. If you remember from the Phantom or from the Mantis rather, you'd have a leg loop that started right here and uh-huh. came out and it was a loop right here so you could hook into your belt. Well, that means you lost three to four inches or whatever that dimension was. I yep. don't remember. On both sides. On both yeah. sides. So now you can cinch down the waist belt on the Phantom all the way down. I mean, it goes really, really tiny. And so I think we, we rated it from 28 to 40 inches. I mean, in reality, it can it, go smaller. it'll expand and, and reduce even more. But that's kind of what we rated it at. Mm-hmm. But if you had a, you know, a kid with a 24-inch waist, they can wear this now. If, you got a, if you're a big dude and you got a 40-inch waist, 42-inch waist, and you're, you know, you're a big dude, you can wear this. So it's, mm-hmm. it, those, it's a one-size-fits-all. One it's a one-size-fits-most. Most. It's yeah. not going to fit everyone, but... 99% of guys are going to fit in this. Yeah. We've had dudes in the booth this 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 week here at ATA. We had we had some some ladies come in that were really small, you know, well, like we're talking like like 100 100 pounds, 110 pounds. Little bitty pounds. girls. Yeah, I've seen them. The the girl that was in our booth yesterday, we literally had to like take the triglides off of the belt so we could cinch it all the way down. The buckle was touching both sides and it fell off her hips. I mean, she was this big around. It was the most ridiculous thing I've seen. But she, but it worked. Yeah, you know? when she sat in it, she's like, "Wow, this is great. It's comfy." We just, you know, couldn't get the belt tight on her. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then you got, awesome. you know, right behind her, here comes this dude that's like six eight, two seventy five. Yeah. He was a giant, and he walked into the booth, and he had his waist was bigger than forty inches. I don't mm-hmm. know what it was. I don't think I asked him, but he's a big dude. And he walked in and he put it on. He's like, "Oh wow, this works." So it kind of works for most dudes, you yeah, know, or ladies. Well, and the, and part of that, and and. That comes from the bridge, okay? So when you're, regardless of what size your body is here, right? If you're a bigger dude, it means that these loops are going to be, you know, further back, right? And in that situation, you're definitely going to want a longer bridge. If you're a smaller person and all of a sudden these loops are further forward on your hip, you can cinch down the bridge so your effective bridge might start on your hips way back here and you got all this in there so you don't need as much rope. Mm -hmm. But your effective bridge on a big dude is you need more rope because less of the seatbelt is extending past your body. Definitely. So it just depends on your body shape where those loops end up. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. That's that's pretty awesome. So going going kind of back to to these leg loops, you know, we were talking about how that uh, the leg loop on the on the actual waist belt was kind of restricting on how tight you could actually make it. So they're down here now. They're also not as flimsy. Yep. Right, they're sturdier, easier to put the hook into. Yep, and and also a lot. It's a lot more difficult for the hook to fall out. Yes, you know, and so that's a that's a small upgrade, but that's an upgrade. Like there were times I've I have had moments where if I was doing something like dragging a deer out, doing a lot of movement, um, obviously it's not affecting my safety or anything at that point. But I had the, the hooks fall out because that material was just a little bit lighter. Um, a little bit more flimsy, and the hooks would fall out. Yeah. And that's just kind of annoying more than anything. But this fixes that issue 100%. Yeah. So, I mean, basically, like Ernie said a minute ago, we we took all the customer feedback that we got for, you know, these thousands of people that are jumping into saddle hunting, some of them really experienced, some of them not so experienced, and we're getting feedback from everyone. Yeah. You know, most people are saying, wow, this is awesome. This changed the way I hunt. And then you have a small segment of people that say, oh, it fell off my waist. And then you have a small segment of people that say, oh, it rides up. And then you have a small segment of people that say, you know, I can't adjust the belt enough. And so we listen to all these these little pockets of feedback, mm-hmm. and by the time you combine it all and try to adjust or address every single little pocket, you end up with something like this where we kind of solved like most of those issues. And I mean, this isn't the end all be all saddle. There will be other things that we'll be able to make improvements to this as we go. And we'll offer new versions and upgrades and stuff like that. But this addresses pretty much everything. And if you can't get comfortable in this, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it's, it's pretty much there. So tell me, is there anything else that, maybe we haven't talked about that is different. Man, I think we've covered it. I mean, yeah. That's pretty much it. Really cool logo on the outside. Yeah. 
That I mean, logo, man. The, the logo's pretty legit. The Phantom of the Opera. I love it. I love it, man. It's great. Great saddle. Great think, system. You know what? Actually, the webbing keepers. Little things like the webbing keepers yeah, and stuff. Yeah, so but. none of the webbing on the Manus had these little elastic things to keep the tails, and yep. people would complain the tails are floppy and whatever else. And so they're on every piece of strap on here now so that it keeps in. And on the legs, you can cinch that down, and it just holds it, and then it's perfect. drops in and out. Mm-hmm. Look yep. at that. So, you know, when you pull it, it just stays right there. So your your T-hook still, you can, you've got still all the adjustability. It's just yeah. your webbing keeper keeps it there. It's nice. Yeah, that's great. Little uh, thing. Was there anything Was there anything on the actual buckle? Same buckle. Same exact yeah. buckle. Okay. Man, y'all are crushing it. Yeah, dude. It's awesome. And it's, it's great to hear feedback from guys like you that are legit hardcore saddle hunters that are yeah, out man. there using it a lot and killing stuff and getting their picture on the new canoe ad. Yeah. You know? Dude, how about that? Big that time. Awesome. That was pretty sweet. The only thing, <laughs> the thing that was funny was, I think I told you last night, they used the smallest turkey that I've ever shot in my life on that video. <laughs> like, I've killed some pretty decent animals in the last couple of years, and the picture, it looked like I was like throwing a chicken into the back of the new <laughs> sure. Well, your drone footage on some of the lakes and the pictures you've taken, you know, paddling out for hunts is just fantastic. Yeah, we stole it. some of it and used it in our Phantom release because yeah, it was that. so cool. That was yeah. cool, man. I appreciate that. I love it. And I love, like, saddle hunting for me has changed. It's changed a lot of the way that I hunt. Um, a lot of the things that maybe held me back from going into a certain area or even being able to find a tree in a certain area. Like the last several years I've been able to get into these like thickets and places where I just could not put a climber. I could have put a lock on. I freaking hate them. So I, I just didn't do it. So I was hunting big open pines and stuff and I was killing deer, but nothing like this. So it's like people say like, I don't, I don't want to be the guy ever that's sitting in front of a deer and I'm like, I couldn't have killed this deer without so-and-so dopey you know i don't want to be that guy but there really is there there is a realistic um like it's just serious how the saddle has changed where i can go and a lot of the deer man a lot of the animals that i've been able to get on it wouldn't have been possible without being able to get in that tree right it wouldn't have been possible without being able to have a way to get in these areas and the saddle was saddle was it for me so um, I, I tell everybody, I, I, there's a guy walking around here, his name's Slade. Um, he does trips for, trips for trade is, uh, is his deal. We met up one day, I don't know, last year at a, at a brewery in downtown Birmingham. And he was asking about saddle hunting. You never really heard about it. And so I just got up in a tree right there in the middle of downtown Birmingham. I was like, check it out, man. And I was like flipping upside down and stuff. And it, it, that's all it takes, man. People... People are so, like, hesitant about it. It seems like a lot going on. But when you really show them and you see it and... Try it on. Try it on. Yeah, try you're it. like, man. And so I, that, that's kind of how I want to end this. You guys have got an awesome opportunity coming up really soon, this whole next year, um, doing the Teach and Train... Yeah, it's, it's exciting. ...events. So can you kind of talk about that just for, a, just for half a second? Like, where that's going to be, what, what people can expect from it? Well, you kind of hit the nail on the head with most people's resistance to trying saddle hunting is that from an education perspective, it looks really difficult. You want to learn about a tree stand, you can go into any big box hunting store in the world and look at four or five different options. You can have a guy or a gal that has used them before and explain, you know, maybe some of the differences. This is what you need to be careful of. This is how they work. These are the things you need to think about. You probably, if you know a hunter, you know, if you're a new hunter and, and you're wanting to get into it, you know a, a hunter in your area, a friend of yours, a family member, they're familiar with tree stands. They can give you the ins and the outs. This is such a new thing that there's just not that many people doing it. So the education perspective uh, has always been difficult for, or at least a, a barrier to entry for people getting into saddle hunting. And you just described it perfectly. You know, Slade is like, nah, I don't know, it's complicated. That's normal. So the idea with the teach and train event is they're free. Uh, so you can buy tethered products there, but I mean, that's not the point. The point is to teach people and train people about how to do it safely. Uh, you show up, get some food. We have knowledgeable people that are, you know, basically experts in, in all this stuff. Train you how to use it. Try it on. See if it works. See what you like it. And if you don't, that's awesome. You know, keep using your climbing tree stand. A golfer carries more than one club, right? Mm-hmm. So you use your climber when it makes sense. 
use a saddle when it makes sense, etc. But yeah, we're doing basically 20 cities in 2020, and we, we've reviewed, we've uh, recruited hosts in each city. They're volunteers, you know. They're yeah. they're not tethered, paid staff. I mean, these dudes, these are just saddle hunting maniacs that want to teach their friends about it. So yeah. we've recruited these hosts, and well, some are tethered staff. I shouldn't say that, but there's a few cities going on where they are tethered guys. But uh, for the most part, it's just people that like it and they want to learn more about it so that's what we're doing we're going to 20 cities and around the around basically from everything east of the mississippi there'll yeah. be something close to you and ernie's gonna go to some i'm gonna go to some can't talk about too much who's going to some of them but there's gonna be some fancy people show up at uh at different places so you never know who might show up <laughs> at the tethered teaching train event so that'll be pretty cool but I mean, it's basically just a way to learn about it, and yeah. like a like a low threat. You know, nobody's gonna make fun of you. No one's gonna say, "Ah, oh, you're doing it wrong." It's not about that. It's, it's like, like going hey. to CrossFit for the first time. <laughs> yeah, that's intimidating. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And so you can go to a teach and train event. Uh, you can sit back in the corner and watch, or you can get involved. You know, it's yeah. not. It's the point is just to kind of educate people, and, well, and that's the thing, right? The biggest thing is I want to try one out. I want to see how it works. And and so the people who want to try it out before they spend any money can go to these teaching trains. Um, but also, it's like you said, it's education. We don't want somebody to go out on their first hunt and wear their saddle under their armpits. We've heard how that goes. Yeah. And we uh, this just gives everybody the opportunity to <laughs> He who shall not be named. Um, but, yeah, um, it gives them the opportunity to kind of learn how this all goes together. That's awesome. So 20 cities in 2020. Yep. Lots of southern cities. I know there's one in Tennessee. They're everywhere. Birmingham, I mean, Florida. Walter's doing one in Florida. Yep. Uh, I'll be at the Birmingham one, maybe the Florida one, probably the Tennessee one. Um, we'll be in New York. We'll be in uh, Chicago. We'll be in Wisconsin. We'll be in Minnesota. We'll be in Indianapolis, St. Louis, Columbia. Boston. I mean, you look at a Google map, it's basically the whole East Coast. Everything east of the Mississippi, we're there. That's awesome. That's great. That's yeah. going to be cool. It's going to so, be fun. So basically, if you're watching this or you're listening to this, you're somewhere close by and you don't know if this is for you. Number one, if you're close, if you, if you're close to Alabama, hit me up. I will we'll meet up and I will show you everything there is to know. Everything that I know, not everything there is to know about saddle hunting. Um, and and just try it out. There's a lot of people in your area that are willing to show you. I promise you, saddle hunting is the most generous community I've ever been a part of. And, and people are like, yeah, I'll drive 40 miles to meet you to yeah. show you a saddle, you yeah. know, because I just love it. Like it just right. when I can when I can do something that makes it easier for somebody or influences somebody else to go out and, and try something new. Like that's what I want to do. And that's what you guys are doing. And I uh, appreciate it. Well, Absolutely. the hardest part about that situation you just said is you got to drive 40 miles. And that's like. 40 minutes you don't get to tell somebody about saddle hunting you know it's like <laughs> you can barely handle that amount of time without talking about it yeah so. people I, I saw a meme the other day that it was like people that talk about it, it's like crossfitters vegans and saddle, saddle hunters. hunters they're all just talking about it. yeah it's probably true it is true man i but but it's because we know it works it's because it's, it's fun too we believe you know? in it's yeah nobody's like nobody's talking about how fun it is to carry their you know, climber. Yeah, that's gonna last. Not. Yeah, that, <laughs> I love hanging on with one arm as I'm trying to pull the thing up and you know, kill <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, it's no so thanks. much fun. I love it when I'm walking through the woods and it hangs up on every branch and it's, it's awesome. Like, bangs against it when you're, you know, straps aren't tight enough, so you get a metal click every time you step. It's <laughs> those are awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, guys, thanks so much for coming on the show, um, and. Obviously, we'll talk again. Oh, yeah. I'll be on the show again, yep. hanging out. We got well, I'm coming down to visit you next spring. Oh, yeah. I'm doing a late season in Alabama next year. Let's do it, man. Yeah. We got that January rut going on mm-hmm. right now. It's cracking. And I'm like, I want to be there. Yep. But it's all good. I love it, man. I'm, I'm, dude, I hope you get to come out. Bring your new canoe. Yeah. We'll go kill some chicken turkeys. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm good at that. I'm real good at it. <laughs> That's fine. Um, so that funny thing about that turkey is uh, he was he, he was barely legal, man. He was like his beard was like that big. He's legal. Yeah, he was gobbling. He's legal. That's the thing. Like he was gobbling hard all morning long. Anyway, different story for a different day, guys. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. You guys, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. 
Check out Tethered at TetheredNation.com, uh, Instagram, Tethered Nation. Everything's Tethered Nation. Everything's Tethered Nation. All things are going to be Tethered Nation by the end of these guys' career. It's going to, like, Tethered Nation is going to be the nation. Cool. I don't know. That might be a stretch. But, <laughs> It'd be cool um, if it happened. Yeah. Check them out. Check them out. They are doing some great stuff. If there's a teach, teach and train event close to you, make sure you check that out. It's going to be awesome. Um, yeah. If you're going to be in the woods this weekend, which a lot of us, Alabama, Florida, mm-hmm. Mississippi. It's happening. Yeah. It's going on. Make sure you remember that God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. Let's go out, exercise that dominion. We'll talk to you next time.